Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's uh, 2024. Welcome back to another episode of Oh God, It Hurts. Oh God, It Hurts. It is I, Game Agent E.T., and this is uh, with me is my lifelong friend, uh, James, a.k.a. the Six-Button Samurai. What's going on, dude? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, my friend. Um, obviously, the last time we threw this down, uh, you were here in the desert with us, but now we have returned yeah. to our more natural state with you across the sea, landing yeah. in Osaka, and I'm here in... Um, I don't know, man. Tucson's had it pretty mild this winter. Like, yeah. there were a bunch of like nasty snowstorms and just gnarly frigid weather all around the country and then Are you serious? I, oh yeah and the then i think snow? tucson i'm talking about around the country oh, oh, oh. not here <laughs> i was gonna say around the country ed there was lots all of right. snow but here uh shockingly mild oh like t-shirt as weather? usual like i think it got below 40 once wow so uh, zero to complain about is the moral of the story here on my end. Uh, oh, it, it, it's, it, it, it's cold here, man. It's been like 32 degrees, sometimes 30 degrees, and it'll warm up a little bit this week. But right. yeah, uh, definitely the heavy jacket weather and it barely snowed. But it's like, you know, the flurries that you would see in Tucson, like uh, Osaka's kind of like uh tucson in terms of how it never really snows even tucson mm. gets more snow but uh yeah osaka's been frigid uh it's mm. been pretty chill uh yeah i just been p- kind of preoccupied with uh some games right now to keep me warm james why don't we uh start off with uh what you're playing nowadays uh, how so, did you kick off the new year? Um, I've been on one of my great, uh, one of my great, great, um, great, great, one of my great, great nuggets of unfinished business is Final Fantasy VI. Um, and I have been playing the SNES version of the game, um, but it's a hack using the uncensored Ted Woolsey script as I've mentioned before. Um, and that presents an interesting thing because like when I'm looking up like items, like if I'm consulting a guide online, like a lot of the names that Ted Woolsey came up for things were cooler than the ones that kind of made it into the final game. Like I think he was really dialing like the spirit of fantasy or being like, very literal about his translations and then like some things got like really kind of dumb like kitchen hardware kind of names um did he also have like japanese uh, language nuances or things like that um they they have a name that you know if you say it in japanese it's kind of like a play on words or something like that and I don't know that I've noticed anything specifically like that, but I know that like for a lot of the items, like there's a samurai character in the game who like 
you know, his kingdom gets ravaged by the empire and he feels a lot of guilt over what happened to his family. Um, yeah. And all of those katana items, they carry just like straight up Japanese names, like, which I assume are just like direct translations. Um, so like, I kind of enjoy that. Um, I don't know if that was consistent with like the final North American release of the game. I assume that a lot of that stuff was tweaked. Like I know right off the bat, like tons of spells have different names. Like, um, death became doom (laughs) in the, (laughs) Um, oh, way back yeah. English version, like yeah, I would imagine Nintendo yeah. wouldn't have that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a very you know gnarly apocalyptic story. So yeah, you know, there's a lot of suffering and death and people buying it. You know, especially when you arrive at the giant midpoint in the game. Um, Hmm. I don't give a fuck about spoilers. This game is 30 years old. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here like, oh, should uh, I? Uh, I, don't know. I haven't played it yet, so. Right. Um, but anyway. Well, it's not too spoilery. Uh, well, there's a point at which uh, radical things change in the world. And yeah. you're dealing with like the aftermath of a gargantuan sort of magic-powered incident. Um, mm. But yeah, like... There's a lot of suffering and, you know, this original script is definitely much more literal about, like, people dying. And I think a lot of that was definitely softened for the OG SNES version. So I'm actually going to have the interesting experience. Like, I'm not doing a full-on completist run because, like, there's a couple things that, like, I didn't do along the way that, like, I definitely cannot do now. Yeah, um, but I figure I'll experience those because I'm definitely also eager to see like what this last word version of it is by way of the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster. So did, did figure, this game have any sort of like additions, like how Dragon Quest uh, Eight kind of had added quests over time, or like I I remember uh, some older RPGs when they got remastered or whatnot, or I mean even Chrono Trigger. They added well, content. So I know I, specifically that when Final Fantasy VI is brought to Game Boy Advance, there was an additional dungeon. Yeah. Um, there was some extra stuff kind of thrown in that was basically like... I think there were things that wound up on the cutting room floor when mm. the game was finished for Super Famicom and Super NES back in the day. Yeah. And so some of that additional content like for GBA was kind of like cobbled together from that stuff. Um, oh, interesting. And usually it's just in the form of like, there's even more rare new powerful items that can be had, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm not I, super worried about that, but like, yeah, you know, there were a couple of other things that like were specific things for characters you could get along the way, but like you had to do it like a real specific juncture or else you can't necessarily go back. So, uh, um, is it worth getting? Right. Cause like, huh? <laughs> is it worth getting or is it just like a overpowered item that maybe you don't need? But uh, make it yeah, I don't really know. Cause I, I, I can't actually do it. So I can't, I can't really say with all fairness. Uh, okay. 
whether or not. Um, but at any rate, like I'm now kind of just grinding it out with like, and here's one thing, like, you know, I'm, I'm now starting to think about like where FF six actually stands among like GRPGs that I've finished or like other final fantasy games. Mm-hmm. And I can absolutely see why it's a massive fan favorite. Yeah. Um, but like it's a ridiculous ball of fun, like from a gameplay perspective, like there's so many unique characters that have really strange and custom like command sets that are just for those folks. Um, like Saban. Yeah. Like Saban, like Cyan, like Edgar with his like tools. Um, you know, that part of the game is just a riot. Um, the thing that I would say is a little bit sus about it from like a design perspective is that like, I'm basically at a place right now where I can proceed to the very last dungeon whenever I want. But along this path, like, when you when you enter this last level, from what I understand, yeah, you have to form three parties. And so in my head, I'm like, well, that's gonna mean I need 12 characters that are pretty solid. Now, naturally, I'm not gonna jack them all up to 99. <laughs> Why but, not? Like there's <laughs> but like there's gotta be some balance there. I just I, I don't think I don't think I uh, like I'm not going to grind that much sure, longer. Come on, dude. Be like my friend who, uh, back in the day, he had f- four Kung Fu Masters in Final Fantasy 1 and punched the last boss of one hit and he died. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome oh, when you're disgusting. dead. But the thing is, like, they're all very uneven. And, like, the one thing along the way, there is one specific dungeon towards the end that kind of forces you to use two alternating parties and like deploy them in a way that like they both got to be pretty strong because yeah. the monsters in that dungeon are pretty fierce. And so that represented a good level up opportunity, but I think there should be some additional dungeon content like of that nature that mm. should ramp up your guys to that point. Because otherwise like, I had four unbelievably powerful characters until about 15, 20 hours ago. Yeah. And then I encountered that Phoenix dungeon and I'm like, Oh shit. Like I need to, I need to pull some of the other characters off of the airship and like circulate them. Uh, You know? So hmm. I don't know. Like, I think I love the wide open nature of, the character set and how many have just all these really different and fun types of, you know, attacks and magic and all of that. But I think the game needs to be a little more focused in terms of like forcing you to utilize more of your members. I wonder because if otherwise uh, the oh, tendency sorry. is to just cling to your favorites. Yeah. Uh, which we're all, we tend to do because we like certain characters and we don't want to bother with like outside our main party. But I think uh, 
maybe uh, the Game Boy Advance version. Like I've heard people talk about how great that is, and maybe they kind of rectified that problem by adding that dungeon, like you said. Maybe that gives you more experience that well, you need to... Well, from what I understand, I mean, it's a super-duper high-level dungeon. Yeah. So it's still, like, end-game, you know, find all the OP shit, mm-hmm. grist for the mill, rather than, like, yeah, a real structural change to the game. Yeah. So, but I don't um, know. It's, it's an interesting thing to ponder, but, like, I still love the arc of that story in Final Fantasy IV and what a relatively tight-knit group, you know, a relatively tight-knit group of characters that you're running with. Um, You know, it's interesting because I think Final Fantasy IV actually bears a lot more resemblance to the Dragon Quest series than maybe most of the other Final Fantasy games in a weird way. Do you Um, think uh, Final Fantasy VI is when they started branching out and kind of trying to trailblaze and do their own thing and make it a little bit more. Well, guess, if you look uh, at Final Fantasy V, Final Fantasy V, I believe, was the first one to have the job system. And the thing is, you could just turn your characters into whatever class and you just earn those ability points. Didn't um, we have a DS version of that game? that was 3D and because I think I remember playing a Final Fantasy DS game that involved uh, job classes. Hmm. I wasn't sure which one though because the number system was so screwed Maybe up. 3 did it first. Yeah. I think 3 might have done it first and then 5 was like a reappearance of that system. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Like I feel like at the time like they were almost looking at the odd ones as like well, this is more of a time to like experiment with different gameplay styles or structures, and then the even numbered ones tend to tended to be more story driven, and then you know seven sort of changed everything by virtue of what a massive success it was. Yeah, that's something so. I I want to play because it's been this long I haven't played it, and I. I know it's been a monumental type of game, game changing type of uh, experience where right. people, when they play it, when they played it back in the day, that they said, wow, this is like the best of the best. And I mean, I played Chrono Trigger, but I, I want to be able to compare it to Final Fantasy VI. So I think uh, this year's the year when I get that game for uh, the Pixel Remaster uh, series on Switch. I'll probably just buy yeah, you should just buy the collection. Yeah. I mean, cause the collection is still like uh digital. It's like a uh, 9,000 yen or I mm-hmm. can buy just the games that I want, which it would be four and six and call it a day. But I, I mean, the physical one's been floating around on Amazon. Yeah. I got to check that out because I don't know if it's available in Japan, but yeah, I'm um, pretty sure it's like the, the Asian, like yeah. export version. Yeah. And I don't know if play Asia still sells it. They probably sold that by now, but I'll double check. But I actually looked at it for Freya like a week ago and yeah. it's still for sale there. So, okay. Yeah. Cause... Do with that. All right. All I'm saying is like, since you're going to have a Nintendo switch mm. for the foreseeable future, yes, I will <laughs> like 
then you might as well just grab the physical cart and then be able to yeah. futz with that at your leisure or play it on what will hopefully be the backward compatible new hardware. Yes, which uh, I'm very, uh, I, God, I hope this is the year. I mean, we'll talk about that later, but um, yeah. What are you playing I, right now? No, I, enough I, about me. I, I, uh, RPGs, man, like, uh, if you didn't know, Golden Sun and its sequel for the Game Boy Advance uh, came out on Nintendo Switch Online. You can uh, play it if you have the expanded service which allows you to play the Game Boy Advance library and other uh, systems that are in that little uh, pocket of love. And uh, Does it I, expand your service? It does expand. Very, very lengthy expansion. Wow. <laughs> but, um, That's great. Oh, yeah, I know. If I were to quote our, our good old buddy Hoptimus, you know, like, you know, Shadow? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a monolith that's that blocks the sun. Six more weeks of winter. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Golden Sun. Let me yeah. tell you the story. Basically, mm-hmm. I was back in the day when I, uh, you know, I was mostly into sports games, uh, mostly Tecmo Super Bowl and fighting games. I had a very mm-hmm. low attention span. So anything that required me to sit there for more than two hours at a time to play it and it Not was happen. Yeah, it was just torture for me. So I played Golden Sun when it came out and I ended up not finishing it because I kind of felt it was like one of those one button games where you just mash the button just to get through the the, the battles and things like that. And mm. The story was good, but it didn't capture me well enough to keep going. But, I mean, people rave about Golden Sun, the series, and how how much they miss it. And that's why I'm giving it a second chance, because I figure in my old age, I'm a little bit more patient now. And I played it again, and I just remember—I uh, started to realize, wow, for a Game Boy Advance game... This game had beautiful music and beautiful graphics. And like I said, the story is good. It's just for that. The reason I said before, I just didn't have the patience. I think I want to. Well, it's funny to me too, that like for you, that was such a hurdle to getting into that game. Like the, you know, hit attack, hit X, the one button gameplay thing. And I think a giant reason why that genre became so popular, yeah, especially in bubble economy era Japan, yep, in the nineties, yep, like you had a lot of overworked people that just wanted <laughs> yeah, to come home <laughs> and they wanted to play something that was like you know they could just jam on that for ninety minutes. Yeah. Before going to bed, like, yep. you know, maybe you save, like, if you feel like a big boss fight or a giant story moment coming on, then, you know, you might just run around the town and grind for 90 minutes, exactly. you know? And so I think it's funny that, like, this thing that completely repelled you yeah. as, like, forever unsatisfied youth 
I want more gameplay than this. Like, I think that's really the, like the secret of why those games became so beloved is because it's just like the bedtime story genre. That, that's an interesting take that you have. <laughs> also, my lifestyle is now fitting that sort of uh-huh. <laughs> uh, pace that I crave. And yeah. this is like an interactive story that yep. is like a very small step in terms of interaction, like higher yeah. than reading a book. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I think uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, yeah. And, uh, my goal is just to keep focusing on it until it's done that game and its sequel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I love it. I mean, I just think that for right now, uh, yeah. I just needed something to kind of calm myself because of what's going on recently with not, not me personally, but Oh my God, it's not even the end of January. And, uh, I was going to bring this up next, but it's the whole thing with the layoffs at Microsoft yeah. and Activision Blizzard. It's kind of mm-hmm. depressing. I, uh, If you didn't know, uh, how many people did they lay off? Uh, 1,100? About? 1,900. 19? Oh, my God. That's more than I thought it was. Jeez. Yeah. And this was, like, slightly after the merger. Right. And... I don't, well, I mean, that's the thing. I don't know. Are we well, still I celebrating? Don't know that, like, <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up. I don't know that there's a causal chain yeah. between those two things because I think the finalization of that giant business deal was kind of on its own timeline for like a really, really long time. Uh, um, yeah. But I would also say that this time of year mm-hmm. is typically when a lot of business, and believe me, there's been boatloads of layoffs in lots of ad firms, lots of media agencies, etc. Yeah. So January is typically a real bad month for labor writ large. Like if there are layoffs to be had, Usually January is when that happens because most for-profit businesses, their calendar adheres to the standard calendar, which is just January through December. Assess how the previous year went in January, make choices based on whatever happened. So I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't draw without like further looking into it. I wouldn't draw a direct line. Between the finalization of that. I mean, the thing is, we all know that like Microsoft has had a lot of issues being competitive, Uh particularly with PlayStation and Nintendo. So, you know, that was was already a thing. uh Um, But by the same token, I mean, I think there's a bigger conversation emerging and it just sort of has to do with like a lot of people that have worked on games and have had to work too hard on them. Yeah. And that is bumping up against the even greater develop 
development demands of this generation of hardware and every other generation of hardware moving forward. I mean, the expectations of what this generation of gaming is supposed to bring visually, um, what game length is supposed to be, like, it's there. there's so many questions right now about how any of this can move forward sustainably. Um, wow. And I so mean, I, I <laughs> it's, it's a lot to chew on. Um, and I like, you know, there are sources of hope despite that, like, yeah, you know what? what um, oh, geez. I can't think of their name right now. Company that did Baldur's Gate three. Yeah, I don't know their name. I'm sorry, but ah, I'm going to pull that up right now because okay. I feel like a dumbass for not having this. At but that company's great, by the way. Uh, that that company. Uh, I'm glad that they're refusing to put their uh, game on Game Pass, by the way, or whatever PlayStation has, because they said straight up, like you know, we Larian, Larian. Yeah, Larian is the company. They, they they feel like uh, their game is worth something, you know. They don't want to just put it on Game Pass, especially on day one. And people are like, well, right. "Why aren't you doing that?" And it's like, "Well, we worked hard on it. We deserve money, man." It's not like, <laughs> "Fuck you, pay me." Exactly. It's like once you put that game on Game Pass or any game on Game Pass, it's like you're just basically saying, "Give me a uh, one lump sum of uh, whatever you're asking," and then after that. It's like uh, right. they control everything, and yeah. if you could have made more without Game Pass, that's that kills you. You know what I mean? But yeah, if you're a small indie company that's just trying to make it, and like Microsoft or another company swoops in and says, "Like, hey, we'll give you this much money if you put it on our Game Pass service," then you'd be like, "Sure," you know. Well, and then I mean that sort of like. Yeah. It's difficult now to even suss how a lot of these models even work anymore yeah. because, like, you know, you talk about the Like a Dragon series. Mm-hmm. Most of the most recent iterations of that series are just appearing on Game Pass, like, straight away. And, and I don't like that at all. I don't like that. Yeah. That, that's conditioning us to uh, uh, kind of transition to a subscription service in my opinion where it's like well, we it's expect also a weird thing too because the, then the like latest i have a weird way of just taking that game for granted that too because i'm like uh it's on the pass yeah see yeah, that's I why i don't i don't know it devalues like, games it sucks well i just i don't know i mean i feel like there's there's also a weird connection to streaming television in the same breath and it's the same sort of non-ownership of these things yeah but more importantly like there's such a sea of shit that's available at all times yeah and one of the things that i find difficult is like okay if i have three or four streaming services if i don't sit down with like a really firm idea of what i want to watch yeah, there's going to be like a really annoying 25 to 30 minute period where what should we watch? I don't know. 
like, you know, my girlfriend and I wind up having some variant of this conversation often. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't know that like, I don't know that all of this, this supposed like bottomless bucket of choice has been the best thing for anybody. I I don't know that it's serving the audience as well. I don't know that it's serving the the streaming service as well. I mean, but but this is my take. I mean, for the uh, games that you don't know much about, maybe right. Game Pass is good. But for the games like yeah, I mean, I can see play, the discovery like, angle. Yeah, but if it's a game that you know it's probably going to be good, and you played all the other games in the series, like for example, Infinite Wealth. I mean, if that's immediately on Game Pass, you're going to be like. Why should I even buy the game when I just have Game Pass? And I mean, that's a lot of profit that they could have initially had. That I mean, I'm sure Microsoft paid them a lot of money, but at the same time, it's like I don't know. It it sets a very dangerous precedent, in my opinion. Yeah. And also, like people will pay money for a series that's well established. Why? Just give it up on Game Pass. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. I, it all goes back to that Ubisoft uh, little. Uh, I think you know what I'm talking about, right? The, right. Uh, the, the little the, comment they the, made. Yeah, the a, a high up muckety muck at Ubisoft said, you know, uh, gamers need to get comfortable with not owning their games. Exactly. And, and that's a terrible thing. Like <laughs> he he was saying this like to the reason why like sales uh for physical media, I believe, uh what was it? Like people are still on the fence because he was saying like, Yeah, in order for these subscription services to really take off, I believe that's what he was saying. People yeah. got to give in to that, saying like, "Hey, you know, just." Well, realize. the thing that's interesting to me is that, like, yeah, I don't. The funny here's the thing: I would say that the publishers have been really lazy about trying to make that a more attractive option. Like, okay, if a physical launch day copy of a brand new game, like, say Tekken Eight was on the shelf as it was yesterday. Yep. Physical copy 69.99. If you made the physical or if you if you made the digital copy 49.99 and allowed people access to that 3 days sooner, people would jump all over it. Yeah. So I see. don't understand like I just, there's a lot of just kind of knuckleheaded behavior. Like, if you're really intent on pushing this model of ownership, then incentivize it, for God's sake. But, like, it's don't one insist thing, on the same value. Well, it's one thing to have a digital copy, but it's another thing to be part of a subscription service like Game Pass, though. Cause right. Yeah. No, I, I mean, mean that that's the thing is that it's a really it's difficult to 
Like, I'm with you in that this slope feels slippery and it doesn't feel good where it's going. No, because, yeah. It's also an argument that suffers from a lack of transparency. Like, I don't know how much Sega gets paid if they decide to crack open Infinite Wealth or... Oh, God, what's the prequel with Kiryu? Oh, uh, Kiwami? I don't remember. No, 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 no. There I'm was not a, an in that series. But. Okay, there's a recent new... There's another one that's, like, focused on Kiryu, but it takes place after Six. Oh, and it's, the, man, it's like the, man the man who erased his name or something like name. that? Yeah. 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 I Which don't is know another how much Sega... Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know how much Sega got paid to put that on game pass. Yeah. I don't know if the number of casual plays that are happening with that game, mm-hmm. like there's so much that's unknown about the way this works with game pass that I think that's the one thing for me that prevents me from running around screaming, the sky is falling. Like I agree with you that it doesn't feel good. And, you know, there's so many sorts of like, oh, that doesn't feel good. Or, oh, this doesn't feel good. Like, you know, NFTs, AI being deployed on behalf of game development. Uh. Like, (laughs) there's a lot of worrisome phenomena on the horizon that I think will ultimately be detrimental to creatives in the industry but again like it's a difficult thing to have an argument about because the people that know the dollars and cents end of stuff like game pass Mm -hmm. they're keeping that information very tightly close to their chest yeah so i agree if we knew exactly how much money they're making off their uh, putting it on Game right. Pass type of deal. Maybe we feel a little like, better. It feels like, damn, there are a lot of Like a Dragon games. <laughs> you know what I mean? They like, seem to make them every year or two, yeah. I mean, there's like, two that came out in the I mean, last six months. I mean, it's, it's almost getting to, like, COD levels of <laughs> being prolific with that series. And... I'm not bashing on it by any means. No, because but, like uh, COD, I mean, I think from what everyone seems to be t- saying, uh, they, they're keeping the same amount of quality. I don't right. see a lot of people complaining about, oh, COD is bad nowadays or like a dragon is bad nowadays. I, I th- I'm surprised how well they do it. And I applaud well, them. Well, I mean, even <laughs> with COD, like that campaign mode... Yeah. Got shit on by a lot of reviewers yeah. for basically feeling like a really sort of cobbled together, like it didn't feel like the sort of bespoke, like completely new environments. Like it was sort of like, you know, soapbox plus, mm. I think was the, the phrase attached to it because it sort of had a narrative and then there are moments in that game where you're just dropped into like a wide open map and there's like multiple objectives. Yeah. Um, 
So I even think, like, if that series is struggling to maintain a semblance of quality, well, then that's tough to say. Like, is it industry conditions? Is it the fact that this generation of consoles takes so much longer to make games for? Or is it also Activision being cheap about it? Or some mix thereof of like a variety of factors. Yeah, Activision... Microsoft. Who's to say? It's it's really a convol. Uh, it's really convoluted. What's going on? Yeah. Because I mean, you got the layoffs. You got uh, the golden parachute that Bobby Kotick had. What? What was it? Four hundred uh, million. Some unholy number. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, well, someone did the math and said, like, well, if you took the numbers of how many people were uh, let go. And uh, you had Bobby's uh, golden parachute. You could have paid each uh, employee two hundred thousand dollars instead of right. firing them. But instead, they gave yeah. uh, the golden parachute and had to cut corners. And uh, Microsoft also on the same day became a what was it the first uh, three trillion dollar company? Yeah, overtaking well, Apple. Well, the thing you I have believe. to recall though is that yeah. like. This issue of CEO pay yeah. is so not just a games industry thing. It is all industries. It but, is but it is capitalism th- right now. Th- there is an argument though, uh especially yeah. on X Twitter. I mean, Japan is a totally different scenario because mm-hmm. you you look at what Bobby Kotick and uh, he was getting paid three hundred million, I believe, before he left. Uh, and then the 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 CEO at EA makes about thirty million. But you look at the uh, head of Nintendo, and he only makes two million. And Shigeru Miyamoto <laughs> makes slightly less than that. Right. And also in Japan, layoffs aren't common because of the labor laws. Right. Basically, uh, you, you can't have a company say, "Oh, we're we're not making as much profit. Let's just cut all these people." Like uh, the labor laws in Japan are very specific. They they say unless you are completely bankrupt, there are things that you have to do uh, instead of cutting people, and these things are uh, employment employee uh, reallocation, like switching people over to different positions cutting work hours of the employees or asking employees if they can voluntarily quit the job, like if they're close to retirement or something, or Mm -hmm. you have people, companies who the higher executives are willing to take a pay cut in order to save jobs. And that's, I mean, a lot of people applauded Nintendo back in the day when the Wii U was doing horrible and mm-hmm. Satoru Iwata uh, took a 50% pay cut. Shigeru Miyamoto took a 30% pay cut. And other high executives took a 20% right. pay cut. And people were saying, like, well, why yeah, can't we do that in Western countries? And it's because of laws. But there should well, be it's laws. Not just, yeah. It's not just because of laws. It's also yeah. cultural norms. You know? That's true, but I don't think... 
you would see a lot of Japanese executives, no matter how different the culture is, they would probably cut people's hours rather than cut their own pay. You know what I mean? So what Nintendo did, what, what Mr. Iwata did and their staff was commendable. Well, uh, I'm just saying the the cultural norms are what are responsible for those laws coming into being in the first place. Oh, okay. Whereas here and in many other places, you know, that finger is always on the scale in favor of capital and executives specifically. But I I think, yeah, the the harbinger is... uh, you keep doing that, you keep sifting the sands, a lot of people are going to get displaced and talent goes elsewhere. But right. those uh, big companies might not have those big hits for long. I mean, that's, I mean, even Iwata himself said, like, how do you expect people to uh, be able to make good games if they're worried about losing their jobs? That's right. why he did what he did. He didn't want people yeah. to live in fear. He wanted people to focus on making great games. And that's why right. Nintendo's been on top for the longest time in terms of first-party games. Because yeah. they don't... Well, yeah. I mean, who's to say? Like, you have to wonder, you know, there are probably talented developers out there that are looking at what Larian has done with Baldur's Gate 3 and going, yeah. hmm, Maybe maybe there's a path to building my own damn company with some like-minded folks. And I, if yeah. we just churn out something fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that, it, that's, we'll that, that's how it is nowadays with everything. It's like, yeah, it's probably best to go out and venture on your own instead of uh, being right. in a company that'll just ax you no matter how well you do in the industry. I mean, right. great, talented the people get they're axed. done squeezing you. Yeah, exactly. Until you become the bad guy. <laughs> right. Which, I mean, hopefully not, but the old adage is very uh, applicable if you're not careful. But yeah, I mean, tough times, but hopefully uh, we can talk more about good things about 2024. But right now, uh, let's take a quick break uh, so you can hear from one of our fellow podcasters on the Ruminations Radio Network. If you like what you hear from this commercial, check them out at ruminationsradionetwork.com. We'll be right back. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at Ruminations Radio Network. Hey, we're back. How you doing? Happy 2024. Yeah. So let's talk about some good things. Instead of all this doom and gloom, man. It's a new year. We got exciting stuff. Is there anything that you're looking forward to or any goals that that, I I think we should talk about that, you know, because, you know, it's a brand new year. Be happy. Come on. Let's go. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sad to realize. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Why? What? Probably the game that I was looking forward to the most for 2024 
Yeah. Was Tekken 8. And it's out now. Yeah? Um, and you have it, right? I do. Um, you know, it's strange because I have been in on the whole Tekken thing since the very first game, which was not great. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Yeah, we talked um, about it. <laughs> you know, at the time, it was just very exciting for there to be this arcade fighting game that then basically received a one-to-one home conversion on the PlayStation. Um, The second one improved by leaps and bounds in terms of presentation, um, gameplay, a little nicer CG with the cinemas. Um, The third one is really the game that sort of made it like a permanent franchise that had like a real big fan base and a lot of people just basically looking forward to the next forevermore. Um, there's been a great chain of videos by uh, Maximilian dude, who is always like, he's very in touch with like the sort of up and down legacies of many of these fighting franchises and how they sort of hit peaks and valleys over time you know, depending on what happens with a given entry in the series. Um, For me personally, like, you know, I had a very, my time with Street Fighter VI burned pretty hot for a while. And then it definitely cooled off. And that's more just, you know, a lifestyle thing. Like, I definitely can't just, plonk away hours and hours and hours on any given fighting game as I used to. Um, but I also feel like the, um, the DLC was kind of a mixed bag for year one. Yeah. Um, like Aki, Aki is a strange character. Yeah. And I know that, you know, she's basically related to, Fang from Street Fighter Five, yeah, kind um, of like an impre- apprentice type, of- like an apprentice or like an evolution of that design, right? Yeah. And that happens a lot with fighting games. Um, but then, like, it's not getting especially better because I think most most people are a little bit like uh, about Ed. Yeah, Ed, <laughs> the, the shadow, uh, the shadow Lou boxer. And then Akuma uh, follows Ed. And, like, yeah. for me personally, like, looking at that year of characters. It's just not very appealing to me either. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's, it's. Uh, the thing was, I, I'm so bullish about SF6 and its core, like, new characters. I think they did a great job creating some inspired designs that really do evoke joy that are different and interesting to play. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. But it almost feels like, you know, they went so hard with that and they spent so much time and effort on the world tour mode, which now 
I would love to know the stats on how much time players actually spend in that world tour mode now. Huh. I'm willing to bet it's not a lot. Which is weird Um, because people clamored for single player experiences. Yeah, but like, I don't know. Like, that's a, that's a strange way to go about it. And like, now that I'm immersed in, Tekken 8 single player content. Yeah. I gotta say, I think they built a better mousetrap in terms of like there are little chapter stories for every character. Mm-hmm. And you basically just fight five characters in a row and then you get their character specific ending. And it's just the neatest, tidiest, yet still completely old school, like the implied sense of value. Like I saw where one reviewer said, this Tekken 8 is so stuffed with content. It feels like, like a vintage PS2 release of Tekken. And I'm like, that is a really high compliment because that is the game. (laughs) I mean, well, (laughs) Because I there love the is te- Tekken Ball mode is back. Nice. There is also a there is a specific chapter in the main story mode that has kind of a spectacular like it's very Dynasty Warriors slash uh, Tekken Force where yeah. you're on a battlefield and yeah you've got to spam moves and just kick the ass of a bunch of soldiers because yeah. it plays into the whole, like, you know, Mishima Zaibatsu versus G corporation. Yeah. And it makes sense line. to make it like a dynasty warriors type of game where you're it does. It, it does for that specific yeah, instance. Yeah. Um, so like, I'm glad that they get their yayas out that way rather mm-hmm. than like, have that be like a totally separate bespoke mode. Yeah. Um, but like the arcade quest thing is actually kind of charming in that you design like a very like chibi style avatar. And then you have just these little virtual, like one room arcades that you just hop to across town and like, the arcades get like progressed. Like there's better character. There's um, there's more skilled players. Like the further you progress through these different arcades, yeah. And it's nice because it really feels sort of steeped in that whole culture. But it's also not like crazily like metaverse in the way that um, the virtual lobby system is in SF6, which just feels like really unnecessary in some ways. Yeah, it feels really (laughs) strange and kind of like, I mean, it looks cool in concept, but I'm sure it gets old very quick, right? I mean, you're experiencing it. I just, I don't know. I I just have to wonder, like, because the other thing about Tekken 8. Yeah. God damn, it is a beautiful game. That too. It is a really, really beautiful use of that hardware. Like we have not seen. I agree that like these characters in relation to their 
you know, pre-rendered counterparts, mm-hmm. there's almost no drop off in visual quality. And that's awesome. Yeah. Um, um, it's, but at the same time, like there's a lot of second guessing now about like SF six and how much that aesthetic is holding up. Um, like, yeah. I don't know now that like, I sort of get it just by virtue of how big those player bases are. Yeah. But I don't know if holding that game to still be able to run on PS4 and PS4 Pro was the best idea. Ah, well, I mean... I mean, that feels much more like a capitulation, like, specifically the Japanese market, uh where you have a lot of players that still have PS4s. Yeah. I don't know the world in general, but... Yeah. I mean... You did say uh, before we uh, started recording, it's on Steam Deck. I think uh, Kill, Killtrocity, uh, uh, fellow Ruminations uh, podcaster, uh, he showed his Steam Deck running it. Yeah. And if you watch the Digital Foundry tech review of Tekken 8, uh-huh. John Lineman talks specifically about running the game on Steam Deck and like what settings he fiddled with to basically get to a place where that game runs consistently at 60 frames a second. Yeah. It does take a pretty solid hit to the visuals, Mm -hmm. but on that little, like if you have the machine docked and then you're looking at that on a big screen, it doesn't look great. Yeah. But if you're just playing strictly, you know, particularly on the new OLED Steam deck, it looks pretty damn good. Which I wouldn't mind. Cause right. you certainly wouldn't. Yeah. That would be your jam. Um, um, so yeah, Tekken eight. Um, and it's weird to think about this now. Cause obviously like Bandai Namco, one of the bigger developers around money for days, just based on their sheer number of licensed properties, mm-hmm. you know, the things that just bring them coin year after year after year. Um, it's weird that fighting games have really figured out like if you have a really solid initial offering, that's enough to draw a lot of players. And I'm imagining that Tekken eight is probably going to sell real well. Uh Um, there's, there's something about that model, like where there are seasons and you pay extra for your DLC seasons and you get additional characters, yada, yada. It's strange to me that that actually feels like the most even-handed of all the models that exist for, like, you know, video game microtransactions. Fingers crossed. Because essentially... Huh? Fingers crossed. Because essentially, this is what we were doing way back in the day. Like, if I bought Street Fighter II for Super NES... Mm -hmm. Of course, I ponied up another $70 the following year for four more fucking characters. Yeah. With Super Two Turbo, you know? Exactly. So, like, you know, if you're getting that level of, like, ongoing service and them, you know, continually listening to, 
to people and, you know, making fixes where necessary. Like in a weird way, I think that is the one model that actually works better now than it once did. Yeah. The feedback, especially instant feedback on social media really helps the Mm -hmm. companies as long as they take the the advice. I mean, we'll see how street fighter six does because there's been a lot of backlash with the, the DLC that they have nowadays. I mean, I don't know about the new characters, but there's definitely a backlash about like the costumes that you can get for your avatar for like, right. The crazy expensive, like teenage mutant Ninja turtle costumes. And, uh, recently spy family, which that, that kind of set people off because, uh, your forger is a character in that game. She's the female assassin slash mother of the family. And it's a mm-hmm. huge popular anime in Japan. But it's like you can only get that character's uh costume for your avatar, but it's like, dude, she she looks just like Chun Li. If she you put that outfit on her, it looks like your mm-hmm. forger, but Chun Li. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. would have been a massive like people would have wanted that. But instead, right. you just restricted it to the avatar, and people are like, I, I don't care. <laughs> right. Yeah. This opportunity completely with. Sure. So that's, yeah. that's how I hope year two for them, they kind of see those mistakes and say, okay, let's rectify it. And hopefully they'll make your Forger's costume a Chen Li costume, and that, that would make amends for, you right. know. These expensive. Well, it's interesting to me that even like, despite the size of these companies, there's still like a number of things that, like, if they were just better listeners to consumers, yep, like you wouldn't have these issues with games in the first place. For example, with Tekken Eight, Mike and I were under the impression that if we traded screenshots with just our Tekken Eight handles, yeah that we would easily be able to add each other and then fight. Uh And as it turns out, we have to like agree upon like a virtual lobby location, Uh, meet there in the game and then add each other from there. uh, And I'm just like, come on, man. Like there's gotta be, there's got to be like some sort of agreed upon because it was the same thing with SF six. Yeah. Like, it was kind of convoluted to get to that point. What What's the deal with companies these days? Why can't it be like 360 or even the original Xbox days where it was like, Hey, what's your live name? Okay. I'll well, I think the added difficulty is with cross play. Like when you're not dealing with somebody that's also in PSN, or Xbox Live, then uh, it's like an added wrinkle. But I just think, like, uh, look, if you guys are going to do crossplay, especially with Steam, like, just agree on a methodology for doing this and then deploy it. Yeah. Because, like, of course, people that know each other, like, this situation is going to happen often where I'm playing Tekken 8 on PlayStation. Mike's playing Tekken 8 on Xbox. We know each other. We talk through a variety of means other than those networks. 
let us easily do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But of course it would be up to somebody to pay for that particular protocol and no easy know, solution lies the rub. So yeah. crossplay. It's, has it's its just uh... interesting to me that like little things like that, mm. like are still just like tiny hurdles that don't necessarily reflect how people actually communicate across a variety of mediums. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Can't all be on Discord, you know, communicating. Nope. Or a video no. game. No. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just, I hope that, like, that's still a thing that somebody needs to solve. And, of course, you know, giant media conglomerates being what they are, like, yeah, they've They're always not- got an, an, an exclusive, you know, they've always got a, an incentive to gatekeep. Yep, they're not going to play nice just because of right. convenience. Exactly. So, but, what are you excited for this year, sir? Well, um, Shadow of the Ninja, the remake, uh, is yeah. been announced for summer. I am going Project. to... Yes, Tengu. Te, is it Tango or Tango? Yeah, Tango. Tango Project? Yeah, it is Tango. You know, I always get tripped on the up on that because I always think of like the Tengu... The the, like the, the mask, nosed uh, mask the demons. demon yeah yeah but it is Me Tango okay Tango yeah. Project I trip yeah. on that yeah <laughs> so I I will be playing the NSO uh, NES game like uh, on Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch Online just to prepare for that because I never got to finish it and I want to s- be able to compare the old to the new and I'm excited to, to play the new yes and. Nice. Uh, also, uh, we all know Switch Two hopefully comes out this year. If if it doesn't, we write. <laughs> Maybe we don't, but um, I still think you should get a Steam Deck in the meantime. You know, that's that's what I'm heavily contemplating because I really want to play Infinite Wealth, like a Dragon Infinite Do Wealth. Do it. Do it. And Tekken Eight. Do it. And Street Fighter Six. So I don't know if I want to wait for a Switch 2 to do that. Um, and I would get a Switch 2 regardless. But um, What's the thing? You know you're going to get that anyway. But like, yeah. there's this whole other realm of games that you could be playing. Exactly. And not only that, it's like it's kind of like a, the whole computer thing. It's like, well, you could keep waiting until next year. but Right. You can gonna- always wait and get more for your money. Yeah. But at what point are you going to actually partake of the thing? Exactly. So yeah. now the Steam Deck has an OLED screen, and mm-hmm. I think it's about the same price as it was before, so why not get it now? So that's what I'm thinking. I might do that this year. Um, get the Steam Deck OLED version mm-hmm. and uh, get enough uh, storage space to put on some games and, yeah, have have a good time with that, and uh, also well, I know the default OLED one comes with a nice chunk. Yeah, so it's pretty pretty sizable as long as you're not installing like Call of Duty. On yeah, that I think it's a perfect medium, happy medium yeah. compared to like getting mm-hmm. a PlayStation or Xbox now. Because number and one, the thing it's, is it's also way more open to additional storage. Yeah, yeah. So, so I. I, yep. I think uh, it's it's a happy medium. Uh, so I'm Do it. heavily considering that. 
I were to get one, I'd try to get one by the summer or yeah. earlier if I could. Um, but the Dude. last thing I am trying to do for 2024, I'm pretty upset with the lack of games that I've been able to focus on and finish. So you I, think this, business. I think this year I'm going to focus on staying the course. If I play a game, try to focus on it until it's finished and then move on to the next game. Yeah. So that's why right now I am setting my schedule. I know Golden Sun and its sequel are the first two that I want to play and beat. After that, uh, Shadow of the Ninja. After that, nice. we'll see what goes on from there. But yeah, uh, I, as much as I love a game like Pac-Man Championship Edition, where I could play for five minutes and have fun, well, that's kind of a different thing. I mean, it, it, it's a nice stress reliever. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a lot of games that I really want to experience, and I don't want to just keep playing the same game over and over again. As much right. as I love that game, I can't even play it every day because it's diminishing returns at that point. I'll, I'll not, I won't be as sharp, and like I'll start to like play bad. So. Uh, nowadays, I play it once every week or so, and you know I'm fine. You know, there it is. So, yeah, th- those are my goals. Those are my wants. God, Nintendo, you know you want it. Switch two, come on, dude. I want to hear news. Hopefully, in the next couple months, but we'll see. Uh, again, let's just hope they don't fuck it up. Yeah, uh, I mean, talks have been like. Yeah, they're gonna make it like not. They're gonna not gonna outthink themselves. They they say it's gonna be like a better version of a Switch, but we've Which been proven wrong want. before. So let's just hope right. that the rumors well, are true. Also, just you know, yeah. nobody has a like. It's difficult because like their penchant for delivering genuinely satisfying inspired complete games is like 51% of what they do and then 49% of what they do is why did you do this <laughs> yeah but you know what like, <laughs> I support them 100% because yeah. they don't lay off people <laughs> that's why their games are so good I'm, I feel I'm, you. I mean, I'm, it's it's no accident that, you know, four of the five people that worked on the original Super Mario Brothers also worked on Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Exactly. Like, that's would you, pretty would you fucking have that? amazing yeah. in the context of the gaming industry and just how, like, how many giant companies we've seen rise and fall yeah. or exist in, like, terrible, you know, IP holders, obvious status. But you remember what I said about Wonder, right? I said that they asked a lot of people at the company at, uh, working yeah. there about their input, and they took mm-hmm. a lot of them. And they, these are like yeah. hundreds of employees. Would that have been mm-hmm. possible if this was like a Western company and half, if not more than half, were already laid off? You wouldn't right. have Super Mario Wonder. You'd have right. like a sh- shadow of a game. Yeah, I don't know, but cherish Japanese companies and 
what they do. Because yeah. even though people say, oh, it's the labor laws. No, I think Except it's more economic. than that. Except Konami, they're they're <laughs> black company. They're they're terrible company. <laughs> uh, but anyways, well, uh, I, I think uh, I will hold. I will hold a very distant hope that maybe somehow they'll manage to do what Capcom did. I doubt they will. It, it really would have to be. Yeah, you'd have to. Them. It would be a fucking miracle if that happened at this rate, but. You'd have to uproot all the uh, higher ups and get them out of there before that happens. Because, yeah. yeah, it's going to be a <sighs> while. But, sad but, but, true. but, 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 you know, we ended on a high note for the. F- we did. Well, well, yeah, I mean, well, actually, this is technically the second episode of uh, Oh God, It Hurts for the year, but, you know, we're starting off good. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Let, let's keep those goals. Let's keep those, uh, I don't know, like, uh, Keep those whole dreams burning. Yeah. Keep those fires burning. That's right. All right. James, it's good to talk to you again. Likewise, sir. Yeah. And uh, we're glad to, that you listened to everyone. Uh, if you like us, uh, hope, hopefully you can subscribe. You know, keep keep us on your notifications and uh, we'll keep cranking it out, you know, because <laughs> we, we love all of you. We love you guys. We love cranking it. We, we do love cranking it. That, that, that it's good that this is audio only. You don't want to see me cranking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we gotta get out of here. Well, so, bye, bye everybody. <laughs> thanks for <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye.